Welcome to the D-Head Podcast. I'm Leland. And I'm Moby. Hey, buddy. Hey, how's it going? We were yeah. just talking about how it seems like it's been so long since we've actually done one. Yeah, I know. Well, the, I don't know. Kind of these once a, once a month releases are... Well, the thing is, we've done so many bonuses. I think um, recently, you know, we, we pounded out, I think, two episodes a month uh, for most of the fall. Yeah. And suddenly there's the time change. We get lazy. It's rainy and cold. <sighs> you know, the last... time change <laughs> sucks, dude. It does. And hopefully this is the last year that we have it. Uh, where we live, yeah. I, I hear they're going to switch to daylight savings year round, which would be so it would be like this, like this right now. No, it would, it would be, be the, for the spring. It would be the spring one, okay. so we'd have that extra hour of daylight in the afternoon versus the morning, which I think would be awesome. Yeah, I, so. I think so too. Although I do find it much more difficult to actually wake up in the morning if it's still dark. Yes, fantastic for weekends, not for the other yeah, five right. days a week. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're here for our, uh, for November, um, uh, episode and I would call this episode minor experimentation, you know, with, with ghost Marty, God rest his soul. Um, I've made some changes, uh, I'm sure we'd agree <laughs> for the better. Uh, one of those uh, experiments this week is instead of condescending controversy, we don't have a guest. I was too lazy due to the time change to get a guest. Yeah. Well, that's what I'd say, but no, it's good to do a guest Guest list, Guest list yes. lists sometimes. Uh, so we'll have a little bit of expanded banter um, to make up for no condescending controversy. And, uh, you know, I'll just hint at it. We're going to get to our first retrospective Ooh. today. Yes. Which I think should be a good discussion. Um, so banter. Why don't you start? Yeah. Um, and this one is just a discussion based one. My first point. Disney Plus comes out tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, the streaming service. Uh, question for you, Leland. First question. Are you going to be a day one subscriber? No, you're not. That surprises no. me a little bit. I've already, as I, I mentioned to you before we recorded, like I've actually canceled my Netflix as well. Yes, which was a shocker. Yeah, so I actually will have no serve, none of those services. Oh, you yeah. still have YouTube Premium. I right? actually got rid of that too. No way. I did what? Get rid of that. Yes, in hopes, and it's probably not going to happen. And it hasn't happened yet, but in hopes that it will. It will, it will, it will stop me from being as procrastinating as I am. That's it's kind of my own little experiment with myself and my own habits. Is uh, listeners would surely know that I am <laughs> very want to sit and binge for hours and hours and hours, and it's very easy to fall into that habit for my for myself. And I, I'm hoping it'll maybe make me more productive in some of my other pursuits. Right. And I mean, I think listener knows you have another uh, podcast that you right. do, the Incorrigible Club. Party. Incorrigible Party. And right. you've got some nice shout outs. I follow you guys on Twitter and, um, you know, you've, you've done some cross branding with other uh, content creators, which is cool. Um, has your binging been affecting your work with that podcast a little bit? Uh, well, well, yes. Okay. Quite honestly, like, I, I've. <laughs> I used to be able to, well, especially now with work being super busy for the fall, it's difficult, you know, getting home at like 7 or 8 p.m. and <laughs> having, you know, knowing you have something to do and, and but, but knowing you also have time to push it off. <laughs> right. Whereas having it finished ahead of time is always best, right? right. Like, uh, I just, and I kick myself for doing that, but. Okay. And, but it's so easy to. Sit on the couch, throw on Netflix for three hours, and then go to bed, right? 
It really is. Yes, you're preaching to the converted yeah. here because <laughs> if I had more actual functional good things to do in life, I'm sure I would have the same problem. <laughs> Um, I will be a Disney Plus Day One subscriber. Okay. Um, you're also not a Star Wars guy. and Not really, we've, no. we've discussed. And the big thing is that tomorrow the Mandalorian drops. Right. There's a lot of buzz for that, a lot more buzz um, than there is even for the last uh, – for The Rise of Skywalker, the last uh, Star Wars film. You know, it's interesting. It came out last week that uh, Bob Iger, uh, head of Disney, said that they're actually going on hiatus for Star Wars movies for the indefinite future. Really? Um, and when you say that, then by default, you know, Ryan Johnson is supposed to be developing a trilogy for Star Wars, trilogy movies. Then by default, he's on pause at least right. for his films. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Star Wars goes. It'll be interesting to see what the reception is for The Mandalorian. The first episode was directed by Dave Filoni. Um, he did uh, Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. He's very, ah, okay. very respected. Um, as far as Star Wars content creation goes. But, you know, I'll maybe I'll do I've got to do some damn writing for our site and maybe I'll do yeah, a day one Disney Plus uh, thoughts as I look through what content's available on it. Um, That'd be good. And we'll and I'll do a little write up a little like, you know, should you buy listener? Should you buy? That's a good idea. Um, so I think I'll do that. I think I think I'll have time to do that tomorrow. I'll make I'll make a note of doing that. Um, so that was my first uh, banter. And uh, what have you got? Uh, well, I just kind of wanted to mention how 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 kind of giddy it makes me feel over the success of The Outer Worlds, the, mm. the latest um, video game from Obsidian Games, and, and how I just really, fingers crossed, pray that this f- just completely dethrones Bethesda as far uh. as the, the sci-fi RPG video game you know scope goes because what perfect timing for this game to drop holy fuck if someone at obsidian was planning that then they deserve a pay raise of fucking <laughs> Medal promotion of honor. because holy hell is it amazing time for that game to come out because nice. bethesda is in the shit heap with all of their fallout 76 bullshit oh man such good timing and it's so I don't know. It just makes me really happy. Like, fuck you, Todd Howard. You I, skeevy I little just fucking see, weasel. I just see his weasel face right now. Like, it's almost Christmas. Why are you <laughs> dropping this? Well, oh my god. Like, I think we talked before, maybe not on my country, about the 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 mold problem they had in some of their commemorative yes. uh, um, exosuit helmets that they were giving away <laughs> like oh it's so bad and now they want they, they've they've made this paid subscription service for fallout 76 one of my three banters today my friend Fuck. one of my three banters <laughs> is that ridiculous ridiculous it, it's as if todd makes every possible wrong move he's like so toned what the, i know like he's is so there no down. accountability at Bethesda anymore. Like, holy shit. There man. isn't. You've got this idiot autocrat that seems to be running things. And I rewatch. I know you've seen it once. I rewatched this uh, really good Fallout 76, like, WTF happened video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you talked about the molding issues with the helmets. There was the issue with you being able to buy the super deluxe set with a canvas bag. Yeah. And they shipped a shitty nylon bag right. by saying canvas is too expensive. And then... They gave you five dollars of in-game of currency, currency yeah. and then this video goes through. It's like you need like twenty dollars to buy a skin 
So, so much $5 buying. Exactly. Exactly. Like well, this company does everything wrong. I know. And I, and I, yes, that is a nice segue actually yes. into your um, banter point. But like I just, I, I was at, I haven't right. played Outer Worlds. So of course I've only heard good things. Um, I am interested in playing it for sure. I think I'll probably pick it up in the new year when work settles down a little bit. Right. And now with no Netflix, I have more time for video games. There you go. <laughs> I'll sit down and play video games for six hours. There you <laughs> go. Some so, stupid show. So, but the moral of the story is you like seeing Todd and Bethesda I, screwed. Well, I mean, I just, I really like Obsidian as a studio and they helmed Fallout New Vegas way back in the day. And that is legitimately the only Fallout I ever liked that I would ever say is actually worth playing. I am not a fan of the Fallout series. I think it has been overrated oh, since day fucking one. Absolutely. And it, it, and it never changed. They never made any any efforts to upgrade it or no. really change it. It's They've always released as a buggy piece of shit. Yeah. They've always leaned on the moderators to fix and literally fix their own game for Yes, them they have. For free. And, for and zero compensation. And they've actually come out saying stuff to that effect, which is the most stupidest thing That's, ever. It's, oh, it's so you know, underhanded. That games are it's to be so built after they're released and stuff like that. And it, no, no. Well, I mean, Todd Howard is on record for saying it's not the state the game is released; it's where it ends up. Yeah, which is That's bullshit. Horseshit. That no, horseshit. Todd. No, horseshit. I, I I hate that man. <laughs> we just watched Jurassic <laughs> Park, and I want to be like John Hammond and be like, yeah, I, really I really hate, hate that, that man. man. <laughs> I do. And every time he talks and looks, oh, I, know. I hate what it is that he chooses to be. <laughs> yeah, so I agree with you. And I would love for a much better company to come in and just absolutely trance them in mid-November. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Absolutely. Now, my my banter, my segue for my second part um, has to do with Bethesda's new Fallout 76 paid subscription. Okay. So now they have a paid subscription. It's called Fallout First. So like Fallout plus, you know, the numerical one in the ST first. And basically gives you all these weird perks. Like I think you can adventure certain areas alone where you couldn't before. Um, You can have like I think your own. Uh, box that isn't shared with teammates or something like that just some weird shit but it's like a hundred british pounds a year so if you put that into canadian funds that's essentially two hundred dollars a year that's for the stupid paid subscription and it's and and it's for shit that they that you are it's very they very very clearly held back at launch right for this like it's the same with all other dlc bullshit it's all the same crap and the problem is we're being um we're being desensitized to this because if if 10 or 15 years ago a game was released at full price and like a year later a company says, okay, now you're going to pay $200 a year to get a good subscription for it. You'd be like, what the flying fuck? I'm not paying $280 this year alone for your buggy piece of shit right. game. On top of the 60 up front that they've already well, paid. Well, that's what I meant or 260 oh, okay, or whatever it is. You. You yeah, know, the, you. the original Absolutely. game plus that. And – Todd, in his infinite non-wisdom, said that people were asking for this. And so I was like Googling all these Reddits and there's like, everyone's like, nobody's asking for this. (laughs) Nobody's asking for a paid high price yearly subscription for Fallout 76. So here's the story. And this was reported by the BBC. This is how big it was. Not like Polygon or other video game media. BBC. There is a gentleman from Indiana by the name of David Chapman. 
and he bought he bought a donate a domain uh, internet domain called falloutfirst.com. So follow plus F I R S T. Yeah. So that is coming up as the site to go to for Fallout First subscription service. But instead, he's built a website that all he does is bash Bethesda and bash Todd. And he says he's willing to give up the domain for free, but Todd Howard has to meet him in person in a closed room for like a 20-minute, he calls it constructive criticism (laughs) chat. (laughs) He said on that condition, he will give Bethesda the the domain for free. That is pretty amazing. (laughs) I I just love it. And I love how it's so... So big that the it's site recorded. is fucking hilarious. It's so well done. Like you literally, at at any type of first glance, you think this is a legitimate, like Bethesda produced, like information site. Right, <laughs> right. So good. And I, it's just it's amazing trolling that you know Todd really needs and oh, and his man. company that That's he's so destroying. So. Uh, that was my second piece. <laughs> How do we follow that up? I don't know. I love how we both had banter on the same thing <laughs> to, to reinforce the same thing. Well, and I mean, of course, it's only anecdotal, but like my uh, my little brother, I think it was only about a day after release for the Outdoor Worlds is he went to get to a retail and to buy a physical copy and they like everywhere was sold out. Wow. And the guy at uh, the EB Games had said to him that it actually sold out faster than their copies of Call of Duty, the newest wow. Call of Duty. Like, that's wow. crazy. That is crazy. That's nuts. So, that, uh, good on that's Obsidian. Amazing. Good on we'll, Obsidian. We'll, we'll pull for them. Um, you got another piece? Or yeah, another well, my, my second banter is kind of just like, I don't know. I, I'm not, I feel like I'm not in the hobby board game hobby as much anymore oh a confession like i don't know if i like i'm i'm not up to date on like new games coming out at all really i i listen to very very little board game po- uh, media like podcasts that i usually do it's re- it's weird I, it like feels weird <laughs> now do you see this as a temporary blip or, or are you actually falling out no i mean i the... think it's a it's, it's it's a blip right i mean i still really like the hobby um i just like like we don't play games anymore i just don't play anymore yeah that's that's actually a good point um i blame ghost marty for yeah well, me too for although me- it's funny the last the last board game that i played was with ghost marty oh okay. <laughs> it was with ghost marty and, and my brother we played 1846 we played 18xx game that was the last board game i played that's so weird and uh, i don't even know how long ago that was well, maybe when uh, when listener Joe gets back up here in a month or so, we'll yeah. have a new player for some games. Yeah, that'd be so right. He, that'd I be knew good. he'd be down. I mean, honestly, yeah. it's not it's not like I've put much effort into trying to arrange no a game night or two is the thing. I don't know. I I'd be down. I mean, I've got those couple uh, games that I picked up in my um. That's my right. Laundry yeah, room, yeah, yeah. So we got to go through those. I, I mean, we definitely have games to to go through oh yeah so i'm down it's just tough is because some games you know the ideal players are three four five and it's tough for us to get that together. yeah that yeah. is you know my brother lives an hour away now so yeah that's a thing but um that's that's said to a degree but at least i'm glad that the incorrigible party is going well and uh, yeah i mean i am kind of way more rpg centric these days right. yeah 
I'm just interested in this. Is, this is okay because it kind of cross-brands your, your other thing that you're working on. Do you record twice a week for that one? or, or No, once? we record like maybe once every three or four weeks. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and I, I cut them up in editing, basically. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, my third piece of banter is uh, movie-related, and I wanted your opinion on this, um, not just for the specific movie, but in general, which is, again, there's a backlash. I think it's media backlash for uh, the casting of James Dean in the movie Finding Jack. So, listener, basically, uh, there's a movie. It's it's kind of a smaller-budget independent film, but where all the budget is going is the director went through the casting process and somehow determined that James Dean, who died 64 years ago, is the best actor to have in his movie. So he got the rights from the family, from James Dean's estate, to use his likeness. And they're going to program him in as like a fully CGI wow. actor in a leading role. Not what? like a si- supporting role. blowing my mind. In a leading role, 64 years after he died, they're going to get someone else to voice him, find a voice actor that's similar. So there's a lot of outrage in the media, but I think I need to posit it that way, that it's the media that's outraging. Uh, There's not a ton of fans that are outraging. There's some actors that are outraging, uh, like Chris Evans, but I think it's more because they just don't want real actors to be phased out by, you know, essentially scabs, (laughs) like dead actors who you buy the rights for. I have no, personally, I have no problem with it as an idea. I don't think um, the CGI has been mostly up to spec in the past. The only exception uh, was Rachel for her brief scene in Blade Runner 2049. I felt that was done well. But in that case, the actual, the original actress was still alive. Um, it was on set. Um, but with a dead actor, I personally don't have any ethical issue with it. If it were done right and he had a good voice and he looked realistic, I'd be fine. How about you? Well, um, I have very few ethics in general, <laughs> so that certainly doesn't bother me. Um, wow, I, I've, how have I not heard of this before until, like, literally right now? This is crazy. Uh, it it I, is, because I post it on my Facebook, so you usually see that shit. Oh, I don't so. use Facebook. I, okay. Man, I, um, hmm, I really don't know what to think. The only thing I'm, I'm, like, super curious about what it does to um, production times. Right. And basically movie turnaround times. That's what I'm really interested in. I mean, I, I, that's so what exactly has Chris Evans like said about this? Oh, he just said, you know, it's disgraceful and unethical to, to do it. And where my argument would be with Chris Evans is that, of course, this director is paying to the estate and has got the permission of his James Dean's own friends and family. So as far as an ethical perspective goes, I, I'm 100% fine with it. If they didn't get the family's permission, of course, I'd be well, against it. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you get into a but, I mean, philosophical debate about the ethics of what of people in general. But I, yeah, the, I don't. The only case I would find it unethical is that if you know for sure, like it's in writing or taped on an interview where an actor says – when I die, I don't want my likeness used for future films. Well, that, that that's going to have that's going to be a thing now. That's it's going to have to be, be a thing. thing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. It's going to actually have to be a will and testament yeah. thing, um, or else this could happen. However, I mean, I think most actors, it's hard to speak for the dead, 
But I think they would be okay with it. If you can still support your family and you have nothing to do. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny that, like, film and TV, just, they immortalize these actors already. Ah, that's a good point. So it doesn't seem like it's that different. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously it's an overblown statement to say, oh, this is going to create an epidemic of these movies with no actors right like yeah i don't think we're anywhere near that of course place. right and there's so much to be said i mean but like my to my point about the turnaround time is like if it makes it so a movie can be a well done movie and like a, like a critically acclaimed movie can be like created and filmed and, and turned and edited in like six months right could you imagine the output of the industry in general ramping up to like six months turnaround time um for for quality that makes money like that seems crazy that does and seems like it could be some some for lack of a better term like revolutionary for the industry right yeah no that's a very good point i don't think we're there in fact i think one of the biggest risks for this particular film is how long that post-production cgi is going to take i know um why am i forgetting his last name um the, the guy, the director of Blade Runner 2049, his first name's Denny, um, Den, Denny Villeneuve. He said that for the brief scene with Rachel, who's on screen for like 30 seconds, it took like a year to touch her Whoa, up with all the writing, okay, the, the lighting and everything. Yeah. And to make so, it look good. Right. So if you extrapolate that over an hour and a half long film, that's years worth of work. That's nuts. Yeah. And. Especially this character isn't going to be hidden by shadow or anything like that. Um, presumably this character is going to be in a variety of lighting sequences. Like it's a main character. He's going to be a main character. And I just, I don't see how they can do that proper, properly and make it a realistic looking character. I just, I just feel we're not there yet. Well, and, and I'm the point of it too just like boggles my mind. Like it's only because this director wants... Uh, the main lead to look like James Dean. Yeah. Well, he basically says James Dean in his past acting performances is what he wants for this film. But I mean, you so can go that, to a circular argument. So that means he's writing this particular main character's role as James Dean in past roles. Like he's, he's specifically writing. Yes. But here's the issue with that. Here's where I have an issue with that director is it's still not going to be James Dean. It's going to look like him. Right. You can manipulate his facial muscles. Uh, the voice actor is not going to be him. Right. So you're not really, of course, you're not going to get an authentic James Dean and performance. And it's only ever going to be a facsimile of the way he moves and the way he carries himself. Like right. it's all, it's going to, how can it, how can this be good? How can it like, how can the film turn out to be a good film? I know. It doesn't I'll make any see sense. it because I think it's going to be a, a important film as far as that kind of discussion but i don't like you said how how can it be good yeah i I don't think yeah i don't know i think there's too many there's just i mean well okay just think of what makes a good performance like what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of a good performance i mean to me it's it all come boils down to like the the expressions of that act. there's just too many muscles in the human face yeah. to properly replicate the motions and and uh, for that to be able to convey the proper emotions to the ah this seems like a right 
There's also a okay. So there's also a measure in most of my favorite movie performances of preparation because it's actors who have in many of these performances that I like the most um, undergone. You know, they'll like Keith Ledger secluding himself in a hotel room for three months to be the Joker, and and you know guys you know losing weight like Christian Bale or Tom Hanks, and going through all this prep that I think does affect the end performance, but that. Obviously, a CG character is not going to have to go through any of that prep, right? Or the people animating it, right? Like and it's a, like it's 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 a chunk of this process for a lot right. of actors that is now missing a critical chunk, a yeah. critical chunk for these really so, good performances. I will say that voice actors though don't have that sh- that part of their right, um, and there's a lot of good voice acting performances that okay throughout yeah cinematic history but like to me it it just feels like no matter how good this voice actor will or will not be it's like going to see a cover band the cover band could be phenomenal and it could sound just like the real thing but you know it's a you know it's a it's a cover band and that's why it doesn't cross the uncanny valley into Mm. knowing that it's like the real band right right um, no, that, that's right. It's funny. My dad invites me to go with him all the time to see like these different cover bands because he really likes them. I'm like, Dad, no, it's not the real thing. Like, if I want Led Zeppelin, I'll just listen to them on the MP3. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or Pink Floyd. Those are the two he <laughs> likes to go to. And it's like, you're right. Instead I know it would be fake no matter see, how good they yeah, sound. So going to see Metal Blimp, just <laughs> listen to Led Zeppelin on your iPod. <laughs> Metal Blimp. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So is there like Steel a... Steel Airship. Steel Airship, yeah. That's actually a really good band name. <laughs> the Steel Airships. Um, so is there like a, a release date for this film or... Um, I'm sure there is, but I didn't record it. I just wanted to get the name. The name is Finding Jack. Interesting. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely watch it. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it. Uh, if you like type it into google or google news it's flooded with with stuff so as far as like getting publicity for this film um oh, yeah. that's worked yeah that's worked. oh this movie's gonna make bank oh it will yeah it will for the fact that it's not a very high budget movie to it's begin a novelty with. it's like going to see a, a freak show way back Sh- in the day sure like <laughs> what a what a, a marketing scheme yeah let me peer uh, even to an extent, it was like Avatar. I mean, I didn't want to go see Avatar because of the story. I wanted to go because I heard it had these amazing 3D visuals. Right, right. And so... Yeah, that's so. a good point. That's a really good point. So, Finding Jack. Crazy. We'll see what wow. happens. Speaking of crazy, yeah. should we move on from banter? Yeah, let's do it. To crazy about cardboard. And so we're going to be talking about digital implementations of board games. Yeah, yeah. This has been big on my mind for a while. Um, and I really want to talk about it because I, I think it's really an untapped market and something that I believe can and should explode. I'll get into talking about my stuff in a moment here, but are there any digital board or I guess card games you can throw in that you have regularly played or currently regularly play? Not, uh, well, actually, okay, yes. I mean, I have the uh, Oniram app on my uh, phone. I've had it forever. That one has been around forever but it in itself is a solo game so mm. kind of actually defies some of the major negatives to these types of games right um for, for which of course we'll get to but 
other than that, like there's a really, a really great implementation of Through the Ages, which is a civilization building game that everybody loves, and it's a very, very slick UI for that nice. game. Like it's a really well done game. But other than that, like not, not really. Okay. Um, there's four that I've gotten really into, and the first one back in the day was actually Axis and Allies, um, and it oh, was yeah. because I couldn't play it enough with my friends and I really love that game. So uh, there was a release, I think in 1998 of it on CD-ROM and I loved it. I, I played it to death. It had, you know, fake rolling of the dice and some sound effects and stuff like that. I um, mean, I really liked the fact that I could solo play this game, uh, you know, anytime I wanted. Um, that moved years later into um, an unofficial version of the game that, that is updated uh, that has access now as global which I really like. And actually, not only have I played that, but I played that co-op with uh, listener Joe. We would, it has multiplayer, we would play that versus AI. Um, so that was kind of where I started was Axis and Allies. Um, another one, it, this was inspired by you um, when we played Twilight Struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing I did immediately after the first time we played Twilight Struggle, because it was a lot of fun, but I knew we fucked up the rules. Yeah. Um, I went home, bought it on Steam, and... It, it was a lot of fun. In fact, I should still We've play it. We've played it a couple times. I think we have, yeah. 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 And it's uh, it's hard versus the AI. Yes. It's damn hard. It's very difficult. Because the AI always seems to know what to do. Um, so that was number two. And number three is Magic Online. Um, there are right. various versions of it, sure. but I'll just Absolutely. call it Magic Online. I've been playing that for several years in one iteration or another. Um, I'm really soured on it now because Magic Duels on Steam, they're shutting that down for now, Magic Arena. And oh, I've poured yeah. a lot of money into buying digital cards on Magic. Oh, uh, there's nothing transferable. Nothing transferable. Oh, so that that's sucks. That's my money down the drain, and I am not happy about I that. I didn't even think of that. That's really They should have kept it running or migrated it or yeah, given me a big absolutely. credit or something like that, but they did nothing. Man, oh, and there's man. a lot of fans that are really pissed off over that. Hmm. Um. Also, I and there was I forget what site it was. It it had ads, but it was free to play. I had a hankering one night, like an undeniable hankering to play Monopoly. Really? So I found an online website that will let me play Monopoly. <laughs> That's funny, and, yeah. and it was a lot of fun, even though there were ads. It was it was it was fun. So those are the four games that I played. And I think there's some disadvantages with board games online, but I also think that there's some big advantages. I, I certainly agree. Uh, I think there are more advantages than, than not. Me too. But just like online board games have been around for a long time. There's tons of free sites that you can go on. Uh, Tabletopia, which does actually, I think, have a, a subscription service. Um, uh, board Game Arena, Boite um, There are quite a few. And it's... I think it's though a lot of um, I don't think it's from any of the publishers though that are are creating these implementations of and then they're very right. some of them are very basic user interfaces and that kind of stuff but like it's been around and I right. think with a lot of very recent uh, implementations for the switch it's really it is really starting to blow up like you think that it should just like uh, just Asmodea digital alone mm. they have a ton of a ton of titles. Yeah, I mean, again, there's so many advantages to it. There's the two biggest advantages I thought of. Um, number one is 
particularly games with a large amount of setup, like Axis and Allies and Twilight uh, Struggle. Twilight Struggle. I was about to say Twilight Imperium because that one I'd actually wish that they would make a Twilight Imperium. That would be for. really cool if they could do something with the quality, the production quality that uh, the recent Gloomhaven implementation of video game has. Man, that would be fucking amazing. Yeah, that would be oh, so yeah. goddamn cool. It would be, and I think the time is right because, you know, with with broadband internet, of course, um, you know, having video, you know, so you could have like small video of who else you're playing with and real time audio. Um, I think that's very easy to implement these days. Yeah. And, well, that, I, and I think for a game like that, that kind of thing is necessary. Is necessary. There are a lot of these games that do require like the large group, like you say, that are like, I mean, like I mentioned, very difficult to for some people in more remote areas to get these groups and i think that's one of the major pluses for yes. these types of games absolutely just and that, and then that goes with like online gaming in general right like uh even you even think just for video games like it still is building communities um <laughs> some of some may have more toxic communicating <laughs> communities depending on in what scope of of online um, playability you're in but that's definitely a huge plus yeah yeah, no, I, I actually completely agree with you. I had not thought of that, but that is very apt in that in remote areas, it's hard to get a group of four or five hardcore knowledgeable gamers together right. sometimes to do this stuff. And that opens um, the possibility of being connected with a group. So you've got ease of setup. You've got, uh, you know, that it brings people together. Well, and it's not just setup too. It's actually like running the game. Well, yeah, that was my third, yeah. is that one of the things, if implemented properly, these board games can do is the board games with complex rules, they won't let you make the mistakes that we would otherwise make. Right. Some game-breaking mistakes. I mean, you look at Charterstone, right? Our first game or two of that yeah. where we really fucked it Start up. up some rules. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if we had happened to do that online and the game stopped us. From doing right, this shit. Doing well, I mean, and Twilight Struggle is a perfect That's example. That's a very of good that. example. Um, because like you can't play incorrectly right. in the in the in the video game. The I will say another plus uh, is it makes some of these games a lot more accessible, one, which of course goes with the with the online play, but just learning it, ex- like learning accessibility. Right. These implementations can can teach you this game. Now, Twilight Struggle is definitely not a good example of that. I will right. say I would not recommend learning Twilight Struggle by playing this app. I don't know if they've had some updates to it since I've played it because it has been a while. If if there is something that actually does more of a tutorial, yeah, tutorial it, it, for it, but like playing, getting into it and playing a game, like things in in that particular game happen so quickly that you just if you don't know why they're happening, it doesn't tell you why they're happening. So yeah. not a good teaching tool (laughs) no no it's not and that's that's i think a problem with these games that they must have a good tutorial if they don't then at best they're just another way for an experienced uh, player to play but do you think do you think that uh like which way which way does it go does it somebody play the physical version of these games and say hey i really like this and want to play it more like you with access and allies and then they look to these the the video implementations or is it you know browsing through steam and they come across t- uh, Catan uh, or gloomhaven and like wow this looks really cool 
oh, that's interesting. They look into it more and they, they see that it's a physical version. Like, I think it's the former, right? Yes. I think it's physical yes. to digital. Oh, definitely right around. now. Yeah, definitely right now it's physical to digital. It may one day come to the place where it's digital to physical. But even then, I think that's less there'll be less opportunity for that because it's like, okay, if I'm going to go buy a physical copy of the game, uh, you know, board games are expensive, rightfully so. You want to support the manufacturers, but you have to kind of know that you have enough players that yeah. are going to want to play it consistently. Right. Yeah. So, so these digital games are not, in your opinion, doing much to further the hobby. No, no, Man. I don't think so right now. I, 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 yeah, I certainly agree with that. But I, I don't know, man. Maybe maybe that will soon tip that with yeah. especially with the Switch. Like yeah. smartest thing any of these pub these publishers could have done is getting games on Switch. Like right. everybody loves the fucking Switch. Everybody loves the Switch. <laughs> I've never easy to... heard anybody say anything bad about the, that no, this console. Not about Everyone the hardware. Loves the fuck out of that console. And hey, if I had one, I'd be playing these games too. I'd be playing them all the time. I oh would yeah. Tell you. Because that, I mean, just the Switch itself. Talk about accessibility, right? I mean, like that's what that's what that's why they made the Switch. They made it so it could be as portable and accessible. Like, right. As it they is, like, they merged the whole concept that was of, twenty plus right. years it's of console handheld and handheld. Console. They smashed they, them together. They smashed it together, and the Switch offers some intrinsic benefits too. I mean, not only does it have um, a very easy with UI um, online service, but Connecting a switch in person, like getting three or four people together with their switches and connecting in person to play a game like via their Bluetooth or Wi-Fi in yeah. a room is very easy to do. Right, right, right. I've done that with some multiplayer games yeah. for it. Um, so again, that makes it a good platform. You know, there's the fact that you would have your own screen. You'd only be able to see your stuff on your screen, your inventory. It just it offers so many advantages just by the intrinsic nature of that console. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, I mean, it's like, it, 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 I think it's making so some of these, I mean, there are a lot of good mobile versions of some of these board games, but like, again, when you, I mean, it's tough not to talk about the digital Gloomhaven because man, that game looks polished. Holy fuck, does that game look good? And I've certainly considered picking it up. I think it's about twenty nine ninety nine on Steam, Canadian anyways, which seems like a pretty decent good deal like i don't know if you've seen any any like no, footage of it all man, I gotta look it, it looks up. it looks pretty and <laughs> but like i've never really had much of an interest in playing or buying gloomhaven the physical version right so i don't i don't know if i'd like it i don't i mean a lot of people like really like the the mechanics of it and the digital version seems to do a really great job of emulating the decisions that the tabletop version gives you as far as the, the specific card play, right? And, you know, if you're not familiar, I, you Gloomhaven, your, your specific character has a, a, a deck of cards. And on your turn, you choose two, and you each card has a top and a bottom. And you choose one top and one bottom from both of these cards, basically, on your turn, right? So you always have flexibility but at the start of the round right before you decide what you want to do um, because it is a cooperative game but also gives you the chance to switch up on those cards right. what you may need to do depending on how the enemies act and, and all that stuff and it really does seem like the digital version is just an exact copy of that so i don't know if that 
I don't know if somebody not familiar with Gloomhaven would play that digital game. Although just from the the how polished it is, it feels like it's it feels like it could turn digital to physical. Mm. Like it it itself, right? Just the Gloomhaven name. And actually there's a there's like a Gloomhaven Lite version coming out that's Interesting. much um, smaller in scope, much lower price point, but still offering those same types of decisions for people interested in this game. But it's like a hundred thirty dollar game, like it's a it's crazy, right? This box, Whoa, yeah. the box itself is like it's like a twenty pound box of cardboard in this fucking thing. Like the game's huge, and it wow. literally gives you hours and hours of gameplay. So I think it's really smart having one the digital version because I right. mean if you pay thirty bucks for hours and hours of gameplay like that's pretty good that that's good that's and, good bang for your buck yeah and that was something I was going to bring up is that um and I've looked on Steam I found that the price points for um the board games on Steam are quite reasonable yeah there's a lot if you look into what board games are actually on Steam I was surprised I mean it's like twenty entries a page and I think I found eighty nine pages yeah. worth of games now some of them are shovelware. But, right. you know, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of some of them are garbage, some of them are turn around and make a box. But the fact is that they're there. And so the industry's catching on. And I think, yeah, I think the accessibility, I think the fact that, you know, the you can buy the digital version of the game for one fourth, one fifth the cost of the real game. I right. think that's very appealing. I think it would be very appealing if the games had a, a matchmaking client, a very good matchmaking yeah. client. Not yeah. all do. But if they did, I think that'd be awesome. Magic. Uh, duels actually did have that which was nice yeah i mean again it's it's situational you know it's i think it's always in an ideal world it would be best if you had some buddies local that you could play with have a cardboard table out tactile you're rolling real dice touching well yeah pieces. and that's kind of like my biggest negative right because like it seems to be in completely counterintuitive to the industry yes (laughs) right like it's so it's bizarre it's really weird i have that down as my main negative either which is that as good or as cheap as the digital versions of the cards or the board game can be it's never going to replace the potential experience of being in person with a board game exactly that's the whole point of a board game exactly (laughs) it's why we have video games that's why you know we have video games like you know, Mario Party or um, the Civilization series, which kind of have a board game feel. We're meant to mimic board games to a degree, but they're still not board games. And right. vice versa, you can do really good like a Gloomhaven of a board game, but it's still not going to be the same as lugging out that 20-pound box in person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Playing on a Friday and night. Playing so. with all those pieces. I mean, yeah, there's something like impersonal about the digital implementations. Yes, Yes. It's just kind of, I don't know, the only way I can really think of to put it. It's just like impersonal being the, the main Right. Main and that system. doesn't change whether or not you have video conference or live audio. I mean, those things are helpful. Yeah. But I mean, even look at the Encourageable Party. If the stars were to align and you guys could somehow do like a three-hour session in person, you'd be jacked because it'd be a yeah. different thing. It would be very, yeah, it would be, it would be very different. I mean... Um, even Bill and Elena, again, this was their first time actually playing any type of tabletop RPG. Like they went, they were at Origins earlier this year and actually physically played at a table with people for the first time, despite having like forty hours of us playing, <laughs> like wow. over over Skype or whatever. Right. And it's a different. It really is a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I think. Um, 
again, I have that down as a negative, and I think that's a negative that that will will never be overcome. No, in an ideal no, you world. can't. I mean, like even like through the ages, like I played with the Incredible Party, we've all gotten over, and we've all played. We just could sit down, we play with each other on Skype, playing through the ages, and it's I don't know, it's fine, it's still fun. I mean, you're just still sh- sitting around shooting the shit, I guess, but mm-hmm. I don't know, it's not the same. No. Um, the last point I've got for it is, uh, did you think of any uh, board games you'd like to see digitalized or even digitized better? Well, I mean, TI4 is a really good one. Right. That's, uh, that, that's big I on think list. just like those types of games really just are the most attractive, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the longer, more involved games. I mean, for all of the positives, all of the bookkeeping and the, man- and the game management reasons, I, they just lend to that really easily right um did you know that there's a digital version of splendor no but i was actually <laughs> thinking in my mind so that i suggest a digital version there of there absolutely is buddy <laughs> does it have a big button that says i will reserve <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'll have to write in i think it's an asthma digital title i'm gonna write in and, and request it there you go now that that's that's cool it's funny. I see on your screen you've got Pandemic. Um, Steam actually has a Pandemic, uh, but it's not multiplayer. And I looked the reviews because it had mixed reviews. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Why does this have mixed reviews? So I looked it up today, and it, and Pandemic Online has no multiplayer. You can only wow. solo it. That's interesting. And so that's basically what all the negative reviews were for. And I'm just not sure why they wouldn't have multiplayer. I mean, it is a board game that is meant to be played with multiple people Hmm. and the people that, okay, so it was mixed reviews. So obviously people are giving it good reviews and the people that give it good reviews say it's really fun to solo. And no matter what you do, it would be really hard to implement proper pandemic gameplay online, you know, because of all the strategizing you can do. I, I would kind of argue back against that and say like, well, look, you can do the video conferencing and, and the live chat. So that'll help. But yeah, other otherwise that it was just interesting that one had uh, mixed mixed. So reviews. there's no like like online multiplayer. It says no. here it plays one to five. And I'm reading some of these comments. Yeah, so I think what it means by one to five is that you either have to have people local to fill up those one to five. You just play on a computer screen. Oh, like pass or and you play? So, yeah, exactly. Like hot oh, seat, hot seat. Interesting. So you get a. I mean, it would be interesting to have. Or still get together and pass around a tablet or something. Yeah, yeah. What what most people do though, having read a bunch of the reviews, is they'll just like pick three players that they want to be and they'll just solo sure. them all. I mean, that's what I often do with so when I solo games. I mean, it's all any cooperative game you can, like you can solo it. It doesn't need right. a solo mode. You just play two or three roles, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's very easy to do when it's when you're playing a game that's. Where you're fighting the game instead of another player, right? And it's very easy to do that. That's interesting. So. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's yeah, local co-op, local PvP, shared split screen. Wow, that seems bizarre to me. What's the price point on that? Uh, Eleven forty nine. Okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. Um, yeah, I mean, if you are interested in this game and don't have the physical copy, because again, you can solo at your like you can solo. exactly. You don't you don't actually need to have a group of four people to come over, really. Right. Wow, okay, that's cool. crazy. Yeah, looking at Maybe it. Maybe I should get, pick cool. up some of these. Maybe some of them are Well, actually, you know what? The one I I would be interested in is there's a there's a a, a scythe. Ah. Game. So I wonder if combat occurs in scythe. 
Oh, it is like available on Steam. Available on Steam. We're doing it live, listener. We're 20, doing it live. Twenty two seventy nine Canadian. Oof, that's a little heftier. Does um, have online PvP. Okay. And local, so you actually can't play this one online. At least. Okay, that's a that's a benefit. Yeah, that's uh, that one. That's one I would be interested in checking because it does look pretty good. Looks pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it's literally, it looks like it's just like a physical. It's like almost something like recording the physical board and you're. Yeah, I'm looking at that there, and that that's actually I think what you what you would want it to be. I think so. I too. wonder if I wonder if the mechs actually get into fighting in this version. Oh, like a little animation. Around. Yeah, something like that. I was more just joking that when we played Scythe, mechs just kind of sit around. There's like two instances of combat every game of Scythe you play. <laughs> uh, well, that looks cool. that's cool. Oh, that's that looks good, good little models there. Well, listener, I think we'll get more into this. I'm sure. Um, and it'll be interesting where t- to see where the digital corner of board gaming goes in the next, I just say the next three years. I mean, yeah, you don't absolutely. have to go long term. I think we're there. And so that's why I just want to bring it up on the podcast because I think whether or not we know it's a thing, it's becoming a thing. Right. I, I will tell you if the catalog of uh, Switch board games gets larger, like that is pretty good incentive for me to actually pick up a switch oh really like you more do. more incentive than like the zelda or the mario like the first yeah, Mario. you don't shit. play that stuff because i don't care about any of that crap i mean obviously if i had a switch i probably i would play like if i had a switch i would play breath of the wild or whatever the fuck that dumb game is called <laughs> breath of the wild <laughs> lucky guess <laughs> um like i would play them and that would legit be the first zelda game i've ever played <laughs> okay and you know what honestly if you were to pick up a switch i I absolutely would pick up some of these board games to play with you. Um, yeah. Just chilling at my totally. house or chilling in person. I would do that. And I, I think it'd be critical mass, you know. Ghost Marty would probably do it at yeah, some point. Yeah, exactly. For the, you know, 10 days a year he can hang out, leave his gravesite. So. I wonder what kind of agreement, like, happens between publishers and, like, yeah. Nintendo for these games. You wonder if it's a timed lease. So it would suck if you pay your 22 bucks to buy it and then you only have it for, you know, three years. Yeah, well, because, I mean, like, just looking on uh, uh, asmodee-digital.com and you see their titles, you have, like, some of them are available on Steam and the Switch. Some of them are only Steam, Steam only, like Scythe. Like, I don't know. Like, I wonder what what makes the the decision. Like, what's, what's that contract like? Like, Terraforming Mars, you can only get on Steam, like... If this whole library was like on Switch, like that's a really good incentive for myself. Yeah, there to are Switch. some good names there. Like you're saying, I mean, they're they're available on different platforms, but there's some good, well-known board games. Yeah, on and there. this is this is of course only digi- Asmodee Digital. I mean, there's mm. plenty of other publishers making implementations of digital games. This may be further ahead than even I thought, to be honest. There's um, quite there's quite a few. Like, yeah. So, but that's cool. And as you've clicked on them, some of the, the UIs look pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I mean, maybe um, maybe put this link in the show notes or something like that. I will. I'll give this. Take a poke. Yeah, absolutely. So, it'd be interesting. Got anything else on that or do you want to move on our I think we last can segment? On. Okay, it's time for Movie Musings. This one called The Lysine Contingency. Uh, this is our very first retrospective and we're retrospecting. One of T. Hud's all-time favorite films, yep. uh, the first Jurassic Park movie. Yep. The titular Jurassic Park. And we l- literally just watched it before recording. We we just watched it, and I got to be honest, like, I enjoyed it as much as I ever have. This movie is ridiculously timeless. Like, seriously. Oh, yeah. And I was going to bring that up, too. It's timeless. I mean, where do we even start? 
it how does this movie look as good as it does i don't, I don't know i because i i've said this before i feel like cgi is going downhill yeah cgi itself going is going backwards it's looking shittier and that companies are being lazier by with worse cgi and they're also not using practical when it's better to use practical for a shot but jurassic park by necessity could only use cgi when it absolutely needed to right so there are animatronics in it as as the uh as um Geraro, the lawyer accidentally puts it auto erotics <laughs> in <Yeah>. one scene <laughs> But it has animatronics, and they're really good. But then the meshing with CGI is great. And the shots that are obviously CGI are really good. Right. And the only reason, the only time you really realize that, yeah, this shot is CGI is because, like, they couldn't do that with animatronics. No. You, like, you can't have a velociraptor jumping four feet up onto a, a kitchen counter as, as an animatronic. No, you can't. Yet, the animation was still really damn good. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I make this argument in private. I say, you know, it was uh, Terminator 2 should have gotten all the accolades for the metal t- liquid metal T-1000. That was the breakthrough movie. But the industry considers Jurassic Park the breakthrough movie for CGI. And it's tough to argue that because this movie is 26 years old. Crazy. And it still holds up in every way. The performances hold up. The, the effects hold up. The dialogue is still good. It doesn't seem like it's dated or anything like that. Even the science. I mean, the science, you know, I think it's so surface, it's surface level enough where it, it, it won't get outdated. No. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, the base level, uh, Mr. DNA, right? Mr. DNA. (laughs) I love that guy. It's in your blood. Ah, I, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that was really good. I can watch this. Any like as many times? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I could know turn this on in three months and watch like, it again. We went and saw this for for its twentieth anniversary when we it had got a, a theatrical release again. We we all went and saw it we in did. theaters. Um, just as good as good then as it was now. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it it's is honestly mind blowing. It is mind blowing. It is a truly classic, timeless film that I think deserves all the accolades it gets. Um, I don't think there was a single role in it that was miscast. It's no, even like the kids. Even the kids are, 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 good. are like they're they're good kid actors. I mean, they they really don't have that much in the line of dialogue. No, a lot of their acting is emotional. Yeah, a lot of it is is fear. Or I mean, in Tim's case, he gets electrocuted, and then he after that, he's yeah. quieter and kind of jerky because he's had ten thousand volts through him. <laughs> um, I wonder what the amperage on that fence is. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, there's some really, really standout performances. I think Samuel Jackson is great as kind of this gritty, you know, Dr. Arnold or whatever. I don't think he's a doctor, maybe. He's just Mr. Arnold. Mr. Arnold, yeah. He's you know, Arnold. Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's a great foil to Dennis Nedry's character because Arnold is all professional, like, you know, I, I'm skeptical about this park and let's get this park working. And then. Nedry's like, do you know what I bid for this job? Yeah, As he's yeah. like, got his gut <laughs> hanging out of his pants, you know. It's his, it's uh, it's uh, interesting uh, how how memorable all all of the roles are, yeah. But also how understated they are in the scope of the movie. Like right. nobody, n- none of these roles are overblown. No, and in fact, one of the things. So you know, Jeff Goldblum. Everybody knows Doctor Ian Malcolm and his amazing stuff. Now, I, I can't say I had forgotten this, but he's more or less out of half the movie. 
after he gets injured. Yeah. I mean, he's got a few lines, but he's basically either away doing his memish heavy breathing with his open yeah. chest, or he's sitting <laughs> on a table as Hammond works the radio, but he really doesn't have much to do past the halfway point in the movie. Yeah, I think they I think they did they gave us the perfect amount of him, yes. right? I think any more and it would have gotten on the 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 verge of being grating right. for the audience, I think. Cuz like he, he he does he is an, an abrasive character. There's this, He's this very abrasive this soft abrasion to it, but like it's still an abrasion, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. He he's abrasive and I I don't know what he could realistically do during the disaster parts of Yeah, the, that's the movie. a that's a really good point. Um he that's just not what he brings to the table. What he brings to the table is he's kind of the prophet who all the way along is warning about how terrible idea this right, is. Right, right. He's the precursor to the catastrophe, really. Yeah, and one thing I like is I feel that all the characters have a moment to shine. Like even Lex with the computer, yeah. Sadler turning on the power again. They're all given a moment to be heroic. And they, they go through character development. You know, Grant finds out that he can be good with kids. Um, Hammond comes to realization that he's never going to have control. Muldoon finds out he's not the world's best hunter. <laughs> finds out the hard way. <laughs> you know, finds out the hard way. And and it's kind of cool to see these characters grow through what's essentially only like a 24-hour period. I was actually yeah. watching for that because I knew they were supposed to be on the island for a weekend. How long were they actually there? And it really is only like they come in the afternoon, there's a night, and by like the next morning or noon, they're they're heading off the island. Right. I mean, they only get one meal there, for God's sake. They only get one meal. And that Chilean sea bass did not look that appetizing. <laughs> not after the cow getting no, devoured. Not after the cow. <laughs> uh, it was interesting seeing, like, B.D. Wong's character, Dr. Wu, just how, like, understated he starts. Yeah. Knowing where he goes yeah. in the franchise. Now, obviously, I have zero recollection of any of the marketing of this movie when it first came out. I mean, I couldn't even pinpoint the first year that I actually saw it or the first time that I actually right. saw it. That's just how like ingrained the events of this movie now are, having seen it like a dozen times. But go when you first when, on first release in '93 and you go to the theater to see this, like you're are, are people going knowing that it's a it's a disaster movie, right? Is it right? Right? Like yes, they, they are. Be, right? Yeah. No. And and I can actually I'm actually a good person to answer this. Um, I saw the film. My dad got tickets through work to the premiere or one of the premieres. So I saw it like opening weekend. I also have a lot and I still own it. Um, some of the marketing that, that came out before the film. Um, one thing was there was a collectible set of I think 12 books you could get at Petro Canada. I still have like 10 of the 12. Um, I had the whole set at one point and they would, there was like a book on the Raptor, a book on the Triceratops. Really? They were thin, but they were hardcover, high quality, lots of pictures. I remember kids at school having the Jurassic Park lunchboxes like yeah. ripped right out of the movie. There was a lot, I mean, by 1993 with a big blockbuster like this, the sort of Star Wars era of merchandise, the hell out of everything out of a blockbuster yeah. was in full swing. You're right. And I do remember a lot of it was to build up hype beforehand because you didn't have the internet to build up hype. Right. You had to have merchandise, you had to have newspaper, you had to have some TV, commercials. Yeah. Commercials were a way bigger thing for movies back then. Yeah. And yeah, if you're asking about the marketing, they, they did market. You know what, I... I for sure saw this movie in theaters because we used to have the you know when you get the combo for the popcorn and the drink the the yes. novelty 
drink. And it was just a big T-Rex head with the straw coming out of it. <laughs> so I for sure went and saw this in theaters because we had like two of those in the house years after. Like buried in a cupboard somewhere. There's this fucking head, T-Rex head on a cup. <laughs> I love those. Those those cups. Yeah. We used to have cups from like all sorts of movies. Batman. Yeah, absolutely. Independence Day. And you know what? They quickly became the biggest ripoff. You get them nowadays, oh, yeah. and it's just fucking Shit. this three-inch little figure piece of crap. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, value's gone way down in merchandising, and, and merchandising has changed so much. I mean, they'll have an action figure, but it's, like, not for kids. It's, like, for a collector to keep in the box. Right. It's collectors right. that go after it, so that's another thing. But um, Well, and, and so I bring up that point because, like, the beginning of this movie makes – like there are, there's zero question that this park is fucked from the beginning. Like, right. You know, like 50 minutes in, Nedry's meeting with this shady Dodson plotting to overthrow this park, right? Overthrow Hammond. Like, so you know, shit's going down here. So it certainly is not making any attempts to obfuscate the fact that this park's going to fail. So I, that's kind of what had me wondering. Well, I, I mean, even I, I would go a step further. I would say the opening scene where Clever Girl eats one of the guys yeah. when she's being unloaded. It sets the precedent. It sets the, the precedent the in so many ways because I joked about it, but I said today there's the shitty airlock. That airlock was supposed to be locked to lock the cage in. Right. So what? The guy just pulls up the gate and suddenly the raptor bounces around and the airlock's, you know, shunted. It shows you that this park has real, real issues. Yeah. The fact that they didn't have the weapons to kill Clever Girl or or, or yeah. put it out of its misery while it was eating the, uh, the employee... Um, so that's that's a big issue. Um, one thing I like that the film does, so we know it's fucked. We know it's fucked. I completely agree. Through the beginning scenes. But when you, you, they first get onto those gas-powered Jeeps out of the helicopter and they see the Brachiosaurus, you want to believe that it'll work. <sighs> you feel the magic. There's the shots of all the herbivore dinosaurs, you know, marching around, swimming in the swamp. And there's the majestic John Williams right. music. And... Uh, for me, I've probably seen the movie like 20 times, but every time I see it, I hope somehow the park will work. Uh, <laughs> hope against right, hope. because like you, you're front loaded with the hope, right? You're All front the, loaded with the hope. The positive and like the potential of what something like this could offer the world. And that's what the movie does. It makes you buy into what it could yeah. have been. And it, you kind of, you understand like why Hammond is so enthused about it. Yeah. And why it's like, it's like now this guy's life work and goal to get this park going right and i mean he his morals are actually or his goals are actually pretty noble i mean there's that scene where he's talking to Gennaro, the the um the lawyer when they're having that one meal and he's like you know Gennaro's like we could charge two thousand a day ten thousand a day people will pay and he's like no i want everybody to see it right so he wants it to be an inexpensive park so you know he's just trying to show his wonder like you said his life's legacy uh, to everyone you know that's kind of interesting i don't know if the same discussions were happening back then uh as far as like aquariums and zoos and like hmm. the the main the main positive argument for keeping these institutes running despite how it's been shown that it can make animals literally go crazy being confined in some of these some of these facilities that it's this educational aspect, that it's offering this great service to the public. So they come in and they learn about these animals uh, and see them in ways where they otherwise wouldn't be able to learn about them in the wild. 
And I don't, so I wonder if those, because that's, I mean, that's been a hot topic for like it, for it a, has, a number yes. of years. For a number right? of years, aquariums and zoos, you're Absolutely. right. Absolutely. And like they've, a lot of zoos don't have elephants anymore because of that fact. Because these the elephants, they roam for like dozens of miles in, in, in a given time period and they literally go crazy when they can't do it like and there's been studies of animals you know what do they call it? i think it's called it's, it's zoocosis is what it's called animals exhibiting behaviors that they exhibit nowhere else these animals don't do these things in the wild yeah you know it it actually is a very interesting discussion i think they hint at it they hint at various points in the film like is this the dinosaur's natural behavior the dinosaur can't express its behavior in a cage and can you link that to a zoo or aquarium and say like okay you're kind of learning about these animals but as you said they're exhibiting behaviors they wouldn't in the wild you know certainly a dolphin's not going to jump out of the water for a ball in the wild right you see a dolphin show and and is it a mirage? Is it a flea circus, right. as Sadler puts it at the end of the day? Yeah. And I think that's a very good question that this particular Jurassic Park asks, because the others don't. They just yeah. all go on. Yeah. They just all go in a they, very different direction. They very quickly to, get Hollywoodized. Hollywoodized. Um, to and I, I, I just, it's. I've never read Creighton's novelization, uh, the Jurassic Park book. Right. I've never read it or his Lost World. But it's, I don't know, Crichton strikes me as a type of author that writes in service of posing these questions, right? Like, that seems to me like it would be an overarching theme in his novels mm-hmm. and, and, and represent a lot of what he's trying to say with this type of literary work. Uh, and I, I don't know, I think, the, I think the movie, if it was trying to do some type of emulation and service to that, I mean, Crichton had a hand in penning the screenplay he for did, it too, right? Yes, he did. And one thing I'll send you for the show notes, um, if listeners interested, there's a very, very good YouTube video um, about differences between uh, the movie and the book. And I think if you're at all interested in Jurassic Park, it's a good uh, video to watch. And, may, and because Crichton had a part in it in penning the screenplay, why did he make the different decisions that he did? Right. I mean, Grant originally was fine with kids. He was also like a barrel-chested guy in his mid-50s, like big... Oh, really? Big fat guy. <laughs> and Sadler was like, a tw- she's described as like a 24-year-old bronzed supermodel kind of look. And they Interesting. they changed so much. And why were these changes made? Yeah, well, that um, is, yeah. Because like when you, like you said, like, I think the casting for this movie is great. Yeah. Everybody well, just is, works. Yeah, and really I, good. Yeah, everybody just works. And I mean, of course, this is the inception of a long-standing Goldblum fetish. Mm-hmm. that i think you yeah. and i both share and you know it's funny um to, to to highlight just how kind of ingrained ingrained jeff goldblum is into my subconscious and psyche that uh that i didn't realize it was pointed out to me actually by listener riley he he texted me uh the other day and uh there, there's an npc that i named brendel in the encouragement party and he texts me he's like i just found out that goldblum's character in the fly was named brendel Oh, and you, <laughs> so you subconsciously. I think maybe, because I did not put that connection together. I'm like, I, I, it kind of actually blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, I watched The Fly with you. That's a great, that is a Bloom great, that is, oh, I, that's, I love that movie. That is an amazing sci-fi Oh, that is movie. so good. 
So good. It's just, I don't know, it's just so funny. Like, how do you not like Jeff Goldblum? Ah. I don't know. <laughs> we would, like, laugh at him in Jurassic Park because he'd say something funny, and then you and I would go quiet, and we'd hear him still cackling in the background <laughs> yeah. and laugh again because yeah, like, he doesn't stop cackling. No, he doesn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> the point where you think, like, the line is over. Is over. <laughs> but and he just keeps it going. Grant is, like, talking to Sadler, and then in the background, you still hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like he just, the whole world for Ian Malcolm is for his own amusement. And everything he does is for his own amusement. His own amusement, his own benefit, even like his lines. Yeah, I'm always looking for my next ex. This is Malcolm. It's like... Grant gives the world a side eye look and Malcolm just cackles like at his own joke. Like, (laughs) it just like tickles him so much. I noticed some (laughs) other stuff that he does in this movie that I like. Like, even before he gives the experiment for Sadler, there's a point... You know, with the water and which way is it going to fall. He actually reaches out and like rubs her hair at one point just as he's talking to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Because he's so touchy. Yeah. Man, oh, man. So, I mean, so you, I mean, you have a point here in the show notes here, like what kind of impact it had on cinema. Yeah. Or what's it, was it, was its impact overrated? I mean, I think no. Like I think all the, like you said, all the accolades deserve it for this movie. But like outside of cinema, this movie had a lot to do with the field of paleontology. Mm-hmm. It spurred a ton of interest in the science itself. It did, yes. And led to a lot of funding for paleontologists, right. too. I mean, Universal Studios and Amblin Entertainment, they started a Jurassic Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing international dinosaur research, mm-hmm. according to the CBC article. So it's crazy how they like, literally spurred this, created this generation of it did it did and i know i know some people that they never actually did it but they wanted to become paleontologists because of the show yeah um like glamorize the scientific field they glamorized it and another thing is not necessarily with dinosaurs but part of the legacy is can can we clone an extinct animal out of um ancient ancient dna DNA. And that has continued to be brought forward, especially with things like saber-toothed tigers and especially woolly mammoths, yes. which are much more recently yeah. dead and have more viable tissue. Right. And Jurassic Park always gets brought up as putting pressure on these try it. to try it. I think they will try it. I think with a mammoth, it's probably the easiest to do. I mean, it's yeah. basically an extinct version of an elephant. Um, I think they'll be able to figure that one out. Um, well, that's interesting, you know, because there's um – there's a type of deer. I think it's a Chinese deer. It's the pear deer, I think it's called. And uh, like kind of circling back around to the, the zoo thing, it was – it went extinct in the wild. And because it was – they had it in zoos, they were able to breed it and reintroduce it into the wild. Mm. Um, so they revitalized this – literally the, like brought back this species from extinction. Obviously not the same method, right? But I think it's – as far as the 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 positive aspects of having facilities like these and 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 thinking in this way, like it, it there is positivity there. there. Yeah, yeah. You know, in an era where, in recent memory, like whether it was the the Tasmanian tiger or things like that, the dodo bird, you know, we've actually have documented cases of species going extinct. Right. Species continue to go extinct. If we can bring a few back, I think that'd be a great legacy for Jurassic well, Park. So, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. What I think is a bad legacy of Jurassic Park from a filmmaking angle is we saw an explosion of CGI usage following Jurassic Park. That's true. They had opened people's minds that CGI is viable for movies. And 
I think we've come to a point decades later where CGI is much too over-reliant for films. It's yeah. a crutch. It's a crutch. And I don't blame Jurassic Park at all for that because it did it right, like I mentioned, with combining with practical effects when possible. Yeah. But like that fucking Triceratops pe- is crazy. That Triceratops <laughs> is crazy. And I know that one is animatronic 100%. But what's happened is filmmakers have taken that too far. They've taken it to the point that we don't need to mix good practical shots with CGI. We'll just use CGI all the time. Yeah. And that was an issue with Midway, which I just saw, which has shittier CGI than Jurassic Park. I know it's airplanes versus dinosaurs, but still, it's obviously shittier. What is, what is that movie? I have no idea what this movie is. It's, it's a war movie. It's about a very famous uh, okay. sea battle in World War II. Okay. Okay, but here's, so, here's the problem. So in that film, Roland Emmerich, he's the same director that did Independence Day. Yeah. Now, Independence Day, there's maybe something we should do a retrospective on that too, but I think the effects really hold up on that. Because Roland Emmerich did mix practical with CGI. But now Midway is 100% CGI. Every ship, every airplane, every whatever. And it doesn't look good. It was one of my main criticisms. So I can't blame Jurassic Park at all. But it did lead to an explosion of CGI in movies and an over-reliance. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like akin to blaming Eisenhower for the A-bomb or whatever. Right. Like... What 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 do you what what can you say about the implementation of a certain technology in the incorrect hands? I mean, obviously, <laughs> comparing CG overabundance of CGI to a fucking atomic bomb. Yeah, <laughs> quite, quite the comparison there, Leland. <laughs> but it's just a travesty. It's just as much as of a travesty, travesty on mankind, I tell you. But yeah, no, I, I certainly agree. Like that's not a fault of, of Jurassic Park, and I hope it doesn't taint its its legacy and for people right i don't think it does i think it takes a lot of conscious thought to say to even pull that link because it's been so many years now especially younger kids they'll be like you know whatever they they won't go back and meet that link right i i put in the the notes for this episode criticisms i honestly don't think i have a criticism of jurassic park no i don't i don't know if it's like too rooted in nostalgic good feels um to really wants to pick it apart i mean there's obviously like there's a lot of like throwaway lines like that are clearly setups for you know a scene 20 minutes down the road i mean the whole like <laughs> back i mean i liked the the minimal banter we had between uh ellie and tim as you know it 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 made the sibling this sibling rivalry uh, like believable but i mean right. like they use a lot of this dialogue uh, just as a delivery system right for a lot of this this quote unquote setup for a oh she's great with computers because she's a hacker <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm a hacker yeah right you're a nerd <laughs> i can work a unix system oh look a unix system yeah, right um so i mean yeah i mean when in terms of dialogue um i i agree that it, it didn't it didn't feel like it was dated but like it was obviously there's a lot of setup for it, right mm-hmm. but it, it's I mean, it's only a two-hour movie. This movie could have been like a three-hour film. Oh, easy. <laughs> right? Easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's just the right amount. Um, I don't think it gets boring in any parts. Um, like you said, there's some throwaway lines, but I wouldn't say there's any throwaway scenes. Hmm. Um, That's a good point. I, Yeah, I just I have very minimal criticisms of it. So. Yeah, me too. Um, kind of the last thing I've got there is, um, so for Jurassic World 3... 
Uh, we will have supposedly Neil Goldblum and Laura Dern back as Grant, Sadler, and Malcolm wow. in major roles. Wow. And I just wonder how that's going to look like 25 years down the road when we get it. Yeah. I think it's going to release on Sam the 25th. Neil looks pretty old. He does. I mean, Goldblum, yeah, he looks old, but like Goldblum is still looks good. He does Goldblum still, still look looks good. really good. Neil, no. But you know what? That's perfect for Ian Malcolm. <laughs> That's literally perfect for because Goldblum yeah. is Ian Malcolm. He, like, let's he be is. Real. He is. But they've changed who Ian Malcolm was, starting with the Lost World. Mm. He became a much more serious character. That's true. And I, I don't know. I don't think they can go back at this point. I'd love to get more original Malcolm. Yeah. More, more OG Malcolm. Yeah. That that would be my hope. My what? hope is that the three of them stick together in the film. They don't break off really quick or just do separate stuff. I hope it's not just fan service that they play like a serious role in the film. Hmm. I do, yeah. Hopefully it's not like it's not like Edward Furlong's role in Dark Fate for anyone anybody who has seen that. <laughs> I haven't, but I completely guess what they'll do with him or not do with him in that movie. Yeah, I kinda watched those I oh, I watched Stuckman's spoilery review uh, on it actually this afternoon, just because I was curious. <laughs> I wanna see it and I didn't want it to be ruined for me, but I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, tangent. No, that's that's okay. That's okay. I don't know what the three of them could possibly do. Why the fuck would the three of them ever go to any type of island with dinosaurs on it ever again for any fucking reason? That would be believable at all. But I'll fund your dig for a further ten years. <laughs> oh, it's ten years now. It's not just now. Three. It's not three years. It's ten years. Okay, where's the plane? Okay, Hammond Junior. Sure, <laughs> Hammond Junior. Junior. Oh yeah, I guess at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean Hammond's long dead. Didn't Hammond die in Lost World? Yes, I think so. And I yeah. think his. Uh, I thought his son got eaten at the end of Lost World, <laughs> or his nephew, or whatever. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, I could be wrong. I ha- I haven't even seen um, Jurassic World. Me neither. I've tried to find it on streaming, but it's too recent. Yeah, I think so. But I'm sure it'll come out shortly, um, in which case I'll get it or watch it. Um, So are these three enough of a draw to like, hey, let's go see it? They they are for me. They they honestly are for me. Um, I I would. I think I'd have to see a pretty decent trailer. Okay. Honestly. Yeah. I'd have to see a pretty good trailer to really get jazz up about it. Because like you said, like... Yeah, the last time we saw Malcolm, his character was pretty different, right? Than than literally the movie right before it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I I don't know why I gave that a pass. Maybe because I was a kid and the Lost World was cool in other ways. Well, but... I mean, the what sums up my childhood for the Lost World is just the the raptors through the field and the tails. Oh, that was great. Like that that's like the epitome of that movie for me, and that's such a cool image. That is that yeah. I just yeah I don't know there's just that's what I think of when I think of Lost. I Island. think of the dinosaur hunting scene where they're like capturing them. I don't know. I really like that where they're like yeah. chasing them in vehicles or the T Rex in the big cage with the, the the big bars over it. No, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> and the new game hunter, my fee is a T Rex, a buck. <laughs> he's like <laughs> he's like so intense. <laughs> so oh man. Um, Okay, well, I mean, retrospective, I don't know if we want to give it a, you know, a rating, but I think as far as a, a rating overall plus holding up, reasonably, I give the film a 10. I, I know. Yeah, it's got to be. I think I would agree. I, I can't blame it 
for any issue. I don't have any after. problems with this movie. I have zero problems. I have zero problems. <laughs> it's it's very much a perfect movie. It doesn't it mean it's works. my favorite movie I've ever seen, but it's a perfect movie. Are we, you know, it's, that brings up kind of a, an interesting question. I really liked this retro- retrospective. I certainly hope listener enjoys it. And I think it's, I think it's a cool thing because like these, I mean, we're probably going to pick some like really well-known movies, right? A lot of movies movies that people a lot of people will have already seen and maybe not have seen for quite a while but like are we gonna pick movies that are notoriously bad i would like to pick some as well i i want to pick some that specifically don't hold up and you and i will pick apart why why it doesn't hold hold up up. that's interesting where where decisions went wrong and that's why i think it's good that we started on a good one Mm -hmm. so we kind of have that baseline of what's like a movie that holds up perfectly yeah well now let's discuss because let's be honest we when we do these reviews we always lean towards things that we are most likely going to enjoy in some form or another blade runner 2449 notwithstanding that movie is terrible um thank you (laughs) (laughs) no i liked it i liked it that's that sounds cool yeah, let's do it, and um, well, you and I will discuss what we do for it, but yeah. I'd like to do one of these soon, and I'd like to do one, like I said, uh, that doesn't hold up. So. I agree. I agree. Okay, That's great. it. End of show End stuff. End of show stuff. Uh, if you like what we're doing, you can find our show notes. We will have some of these links. I am definitely interested in watching that comparison video of the I'll novel I'll shoot it to you film, tonight. For sure. Uh, ttpopcast.com. Show notes, some written content. Uh, we're on Instagram, ttpopcast.com. I'm on Twitter, Leland Steele. We're on Facebook. I don't know. We're on everywhere. Anywhere you're, everywhere. you're I'm trolling you on on Twitter sometimes. Yes, you do. Me. Yes, you do. Uh, listen to us on any of your podcasting app of choice. I've been Leland Steele. I've been Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.